And so a lot of times on Easter, you might hear the accounts from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But today, we are looking at what, uh, what the Apostle Paul has to say about Christ's resurrection. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses. The resurrection of Christ. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in, his, uh, in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he tells a story about this teenage girl from Traverse City, Michigan. And her parents were pretty old-fashioned. They didn't really like the way that she dressed or her, or her attitude. And one night, her and her dad got in a big fight. And he, she screamed at him, I hate you! And she, had, she did the thing that she had thought about doing time and time again. She ran away. And she ran away to Detroit, just a few hours away. But she thought, my parents, they'll never, they'll never think of me here. She had been there once before on a church mission trip. And the second day she was there, she met a guy with a big car. And he took her in. And he provided a nice hotel suite for her. And he taught her how to make money with her body. And she enjoyed it for a few months. You know, people would pay a lot of money because she was underage. But after a year or two of this, she, she got sick. And her, her boss, he threw her out. He said, we can't, we can't take any choices nowadays. And in that time, she developed a drug habit. And she, she turned a couple tricks at night, but it wasn't enough, and she was just out on the streets. And one night, as she was trying to get to sleep on a park bench in Detroit, she realized, God, what, what am I doing? What am I doing out here? She began to think about every May back in Traverse City, 
a million cherry blossom trees. And her and the, the golden retriever that she grew up with running through the trees. And she began to think, my dog, the dog that I grew up with, he eats better than I do. I just want to go home. I just want to be back. I just want my old life back. Why would I tell this sort of depressing story on Easter Sunday? You know, it's supposed to be a, a day of joy and excitement and resurrection. Well, I, I want to tell you the rest of the story later in the sermon. But the reason I share it is because all of us are looking for hope. This girl was looking for hope. You know, something deeper, something more than her circumstance, something more than her, than her life. And in a sense, all of us are in that place. You know, we're looking for something to depend on. We want to look forward to something. A lot of us are, are in a bind. You know, we might feel stuck. We might feel stuck in our job or stuck in our marriage or, or stuck under our parents' roof. Maybe it's not as dramatic as this young girl. But all of us are sort of in this, in this bind. And we can feel hopeless. You know, just, just when we think the last few weeks or the last few months, just when we think life's going to go back to normal and we're going to have all the things that we enjoyed before March of 2020. But what's our real hope? What's the real hope? Not just to go back to normal, but to live into the life that God is offering to us. To live into this new life, this resurrected life. And God's word, the Bible, God's very words to us, they speak to that. And they especially speak to it in 1 Corinthians 15. It, it, says, it says one thing. And if you only take home with you one, one idea... Let it be this. Because Jesus is alive, there is hope. Because Jesus is alive, he's alive. There's hope. There's hope in any circumstance. There's hope for whatever we're going through. There's hope for today. And there's hope for the rest of life and beyond life. There's hope for the grave because Jesus has defeated death. So I want to just share with you briefly this morning the four parts of this hope, the hope that Jesus gives us. Easter hope. Here's what Paul says. It's good news. It's good news. It's good news about the most important thing in life, literally life and death. There's good news about that. Second is that it's timeless. It's timeless. God has always had this plan, and we see that in the scriptures. We're going to unpack that. Third, it's a fact. The resurrection isn't just a metaphor, isn't just a way for us to live a little bit better life, but it actually happened. And then last, it's about grace. It's a free gift that's being given. It's good news, it's timeless, it's a fact, and it's about grace. So let's look at each one of these briefly. So Paul begins chapter 15 by saying, now, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, 
which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. And maybe you're new to Christianity or, or maybe we've heard this word so many times that it's kind of lost its meaning, but gospel means a good announcement or a good news. It was the word that they used at that time when there had been a huge battle and somebody came back and, and gave a gospel. The victory has been won. The battle is over. We've won. That's what Paul is announcing, that Jesus has defeated death, that we've won the victory. And he goes on, this was a little bit beyond what we read this morning, he goes on to say that if Jesus was raised, then that guarantees that anyone who belongs to him will also be raised. He talks about the first fruits. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead on that first Easter means that I will be also. It means that our friends and our family who belong to Jesus, they will be also. So there is good news about life and death, about the most important things. We, there's so much good um, biblical teaching in the songs that we sing. You know, in the hymns, Christ the Lord is risen today. And, and even, you know, see what a morning, um, that third verse says, and we are raised with him. We are raised with Christ. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. I love that line. It's so poetic and so true, right? Death is dead. Death has no sting. Death has no power. Because Jesus Christ has won the victory. And it's not, you know, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to avoid talking about it or try to distract ourselves with a million things. Death, death is not just passing through a doorway to another world. If you don't belong to Christ, then it's, it's the, the pathway to eternal punishment. But if we belong to him, those who trust know that there's a deeper joy than we've ever experienced before. That there's everlasting joy. That everything that we've been through will be redeemed in that life. I was a pastor in New York City for seven years. And my church was young and it was small. And I didn't do a single funeral in that time. And now I've been back in Portland for four years. And I've officiated about 15 funerals. And there's been others from our congregation and others with friends and family from here um, that have died. And I'm, I'm sad about that. And I miss my friends from church and from outside. But it's also a, it's also a really good and normal and healthy thing to be in a community of life and death. Because it gets you thinking about the big questions. Do you have that peace? Paul's giving us good news about life and death. Because Christ has defeated death, we will as well. And you can have that peace in knowing Christ. There is good news about life and death. That's the hope of Easter. Second, Paul says 
that it's timeless. You know, verse 3 says, But what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So twice there, he says that it's according to the Scriptures, that this was part of God's plan. You know, you can't surprise God. You can't fool God. God is always going to get what God wants. And what does God want? He wants us. He wants the people that he created, the people that he made. He wants a community to come together and worship him. He wants to be with us forever and ever. And God will get what God wants. Christ died for us according to the scriptures. 700 years before Jesus was born, this was written about him. Surely this suffering servant took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. Isn't that what happened on Good Friday? People looked and thought, God is punishing this person. <clears throat> this is from Isaiah 53. It goes on, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. A few verses later, it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with, and with the rich in his death. Did you know that a wealthy man bought the tomb that Jesus was buried in? We know who he is. It was written in the Gospels. Joseph of Arimathea bought the tomb that Jesus was in for Friday night and Saturday, the tomb that he left empty on Sunday morning. All of these prophecies were according to the scriptures, and that means that we can trust the rest of the Bible too, what it says, what it says about what's coming after this, you know, the coming kingdom, where all of our tears will be wiped away, where everything sad will come untrue, all the questions that we have will be answered or will melt away in the face of Jesus. There was a conversation on that first Easter. A couple of disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they had heard rumors about Jesus, but it didn't make sense to them. And they never would have thought that he came up alongside them and walked with them. But Jesus started to unpack the scriptures and started to say from Genesis to Isaiah, all these books that we call the Old Testament, Jesus showed how he fulfilled all of it. And that was the greatest Bible study that everyone had ever been to. And Jesus was revealed to them. It was timeless. It's according to the scriptures. It's according to God's plan. Third, it's, it's a fact. Jesus' resurrection actually happened. It's not, it's not a metaphor. It's not inspiration. It's not, you know, going along with the spring and the resurrection of the flowers or something like that. What does Paul say here? He says that Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the 12 disciples. And then he appeared to 500 people at once. And what does Paul say? He says, go and talk to them. This letter was written 20 years after 
Jesus was raised from the dead. And he says, go, go and talk to them. Most of them are still alive. You know, maybe 400 or 450 of them are still alive. Go and talk to them. Ask them, what did you see? If you were going to make up a lie or a story, wouldn't you make it a better lie than that? Wouldn't you say, oh yeah, all 500 of them are still alive 20 years later. You can go and talk to any of them. No. He says that because it was the truth. And this isn't mentioned by Paul, but it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the first people to see Jesus alive were women. Now, shamefully, in that culture at that time, women were marginalized. And they, they couldn't even be witnesses in court. And the Gospels, they say that the first witnesses were women because the first witnesses were women. Because that's actually how it happened. If they were making all this up, they would have come up with something better than that. And whether it was the disciples or these 500, they had plenty of chances to recant it, to say, hey, we, we made up this lie, it's a conspiracy, we're all working together. No. They were willing to die because they saw Jesus alive. John Updike is a great American poet, and he has this um, poem called Seven Stanzas at Easter. I'm just going to read to you the first stanza, but he goes on like this. It's a, an amazing poem. He says, Make no mistake. If he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. He goes into all the details of a human body and how it could be resurrected. And he's telling us the church hasn't fallen. The church won't fail because Jesus actually rose from the dead. And if, he can if God can raise Jesus from the dead, I know he can raise me from the dead. Last, last, there's hope because of grace. In, the, in verses 9 to 11, Paul is talking about his personal struggles. And you can't even really tell if it's humility, you know, saying, well, I'm not worthy to be an apostle, I wasn't with those guys. Or if it's even guilt. Guilt at the things that he did to the church. He feels unworthy. He feels unworthy of Christ because of what he's done. Because he persecuted Christians. Because he was there at the murder of Stephen, one of the church leaders. But what Paul says is that our mistakes, our failures, our regrets, they don't have the last word. Grace has the last word. Grace made Paul what he is. That forgiveness that freely flows because Christ has taken it upon himself on Good Friday. Grace made him what, it, what he is. And grace is God's power to, to forgive us, to give us a new identity so that we don't have to trust in anything else. We can know that when God looks at us, he sees his child. So we don't need to live up to anyone's expectations or try harder or earn some identity. 
That's why stories like Paul's are so powerful. And, and I hope that um, this closing story is powerful um, as well. Whatever happened to that girl from Traverse City, Michigan? Well, at that lowest point, at that time when she, uh, she wanted to find her, uh, her identity, that time when she wanted to find hope, she called her parents. And for three times, it went to voicemail. And the third time, she got the courage to leave a message. You know, Mom, Dad, it's me. I'm coming home on the first bus tomorrow. And I'm going to be there around midnight. And if you're not there, I'll just stay on the bus and figure something else out. But during that, that bus ride, with all the stops, it was like seven hours. During that bus ride, she realized, there's so many flaws in this plan. What if my parents are out of town and they don't get my message? What if, what, what, what if they wrote me off as dead two years ago? What if they don't want anything to do with me? I should have given them some time to overcome the shock of me just leaving them this message. And her thoughts bounce back and forth between all these worries and the, the speech, the apology speech that she's going to give to her dad. Dad, I'm so sorry. It was my fault. Please forgive me. She says the words over and over again. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. And when the, the bus finally rolls into the station, the driver announces over the microphone, 15 minutes. 15 minutes, then we're going on to the next stop. She's got 15 minutes to decide her life. And she walks into the terminal. She has no idea what to expect. But nothing she's imagined could prepare her for what she sees. There in the bus terminal, in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters, great aunts, uncles, cousins, grandma, and even a great grandma. And they're all wearing goofy party hats, and they have those noisemakers that are really annoying. And taped across the entire wall is a banner that reads, Welcome Home. You know, like an hour ago, I thought, boy, wouldn't it have been cool if I like, said welcome home and then it dropped down right then? That would have been great. Advanced planning. Welcome home, the banner said. And her dad comes out of the crowd. And she starts to give him the speech. Dad, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. And he interrupts her. And he says, hush, child. We don't have any time for that. There's no time for apologies because you're going to be late to the party. There's a banquet waiting for you at home. You see, Philip Yancey has written a modern-day retelling of the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter. This, this grace that God gives us, this grace that's possible because of Easter. God rejoices over one sinner who repents. And that there is hope 
There's hope for any of us in this room because of God's grace. Jesus has already paid it all. He's paid the price on Good Friday. He rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. And there is hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for anyone. Because Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is always hope. There is hope because of Jesus. There is Easter hope that on this day you conquered sin and death and hell and injustice and you are making all things new. Your resurrected body is the first fruits of your kingdom where all will be made new. Help us, Lord, to persevere whatever we're going through today, whatever we're going through now, all the doubts or fears about the future or questions about our identity. There is hope, Lord, because of Jesus. Teach us what that means. Help us understand how that applies to us today. That we would live not in fear, not overcome by anxiety or doubts or darkness, but that we would live with hope, with a sure hope of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.